1992, 25-year-old Jennifer Toth risked her life for a story. As a journalist for the Los Angeles Times, she was researching humans living beneath New York City who called themselves mole people. She met a man named J.C. at Grand Central Terminal, the largest train station in the world. He agreed to take her underground. They pushed through a mob of commuters as she followed J.C. down the escalators towards the lower subway platforms. The crowds thinned out. They waited at the end of the platform while a train filled with passengers. As soon as it departed, J.C. leapt onto the tracks. Jennifer felt her heart pounding in her chest. She glanced behind her to see if anyone was watching, then climbed down after him. They walked deep into the dark subway tunnel. The journey felt like it took hours. The low rumble of incoming trains shook the walls around her. Several times, Jennifer and J.C. only had seconds to leap out of the way before a thousand tons of metal shrieked past. Finally, they crawled through a hole in the tunnel less than three feet high. They crept over a rickety catwalk and wooden planks that reeked of urine. Down another tunnel in near total darkness, and then she reached the cave. The vast subterranean space was illuminated by the flickering glow of a lantern. As her eyes adjusted to the dim light, Jennifer's excitement turned to fear. Dozens of gray faces emerged from the shadows. She'd found the mole people, but now she was surrounded in a dark cave, hundreds of feet below ground. Welcome to Unexplained Mysteries, a Spotify original from Parcast. I'm your host, Molly. And I'm your host, Richard. In life, there's so much we don't know, but in this show, we don't take we don't know for an answer. Every Tuesday and Thursday, we investigate the greatest mysteries of history and life on Earth. You can find episodes of Unexplained Mysteries and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. This is our first of two episodes on mole people. For centuries, authors and scientists have argued over the existence of a race of subterranean people. These creatures may have created entire societies underground and adapted to low-light conditions. Today, we'll trace the timeline of their existence as it unfolded through legends, expeditions, and conspiracy theories. Then, we'll look at the strange but true stories of present-day humans living underground. Next time, we'll dig into the lives of people who chose to live beneath the Earth. We'll examine some of the controversies surrounding their discovery and try to understand what it's like to live as a mole person. We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state.
If humans could move through solid rock, they'd have to travel 4,000 miles to get to the Earth's center. Yet the deepest hole ever drilled has only reached seven and a half miles below the surface. There's a vast subterranean world still undiscovered. Because the inner Earth is such a mystery, ancient civilizations created a vast array of myths to explain what happened beneath their feet. For example, the ancient Greeks believed deceased souls went to the house of Hades, deep underground. It was a land of darkness and eternal sorrow. Most of the dead wandered aimlessly with no memories of their lives on Earth. In the Odyssey, an epic poem written by Homer sometime around 700 BCE, the hero visited Hades. In another poem called The Iliad, Homer referenced a place called Tartarus, where the first gods were imprisoned by Zeus. It was a dark pit with iron gates deep underneath Hades, untouched by light. In other cultures, the underworld has been represented as a land of demons. Ancient Hindu people, for example, divided the subterranean world into seven layers. These were filled with golden treasures, enchanted flowers, and heavenly feasts. But they were also places of cruelty and terrible violence. Many Hindu people considered these levels symbols, not actual locations. They were like the seven deadly sins. Lush palaces represented the allure of greed and malice. Yet beneath every golden trinket was a serpent ready to strike. While ancient tales of underground worlds described places of dark terror, early scientists took a more balanced approach. In 1664, a German priest and scholar named Athanasius Kircher published a two-volume manuscript describing the inner workings of the earth. According to him, there was a network of tunnels that carried water and molten rock to the surface from underground oceans. When the pressure became too much, the magma burst from volcanoes like a release valve. Kircher's theory was surprisingly close to the truth and centuries ahead of its time. But he also believed that the planet's interior supported life. He dedicated much of his manuscript to describing the humans, animals, and other creatures who lived in caves near the Earth's core. These caves were imaginary, but they formed a basic theory for future scientists. A few decades later, British astronomer Edmund Halley tried to prove the existence of these deep caves using physics. Halley was struggling to explain why magnetic north, where compass needles pointed, slowly moved over time. And this wasn't simply a theoretical problem or a fanciful story. It was one of the most important scientific questions of Halley's era. The subtle wandering of the North Pole made it hard for sailors to navigate. Even a one-degree change could lead a ship hundreds of miles off course. Halley studied the Earth's magnetic fields and decided there were actually two North Poles, one on the surface and one far beneath. So in 1692, Halley came up with a new idea. Perhaps the Earth was hollow. He believed our planet was made of two spheres, one nestled inside the other like Russian dolls. Halley's theory didn't gain traction at the time, but it inspired a 19th-century American thinker named John Cleves Sims. 
The first time Sims mentioned hollow earth theory was in a letter to his stepson dated 1817. In it, he asserted that all planets and stars were hollow. Later, he published pamphlets declaring that the earth was made of concentric spheres similar to what Halley proposed in 1692. To make his case, he pointed to evidence from every branch of science. He used oceanography, botany, astronomy, and anything else that supported the existence of a subterranean world. He suggested the entrances to Earth's interior were near the North and South Poles. And like Kircher, he believed the underground universe was inhabited. In his memoirs, Sims claimed that a person visiting hollow Earth would find a lush tropical climate. In fact, he argued that animals often made the trip. For example, Sims believed that migratory fish fled to the interior world in winter and re-emerged to the surface in spring. Sims wondered if there might even be humans down there as well. Perhaps even a whole new civilization. While he had no idea what they would be like, he did know that a new world meant new resources. And resources meant profit. Sims was desperate to prove his theory, so he used the lore of these untapped natural resources to attract followers. An adventurer at heart, Sims published pamphlets advertising an expedition to the Arctic. He asked for, quote, 100 brave companions to accompany him and promised rich rewards if they did. The pamphlets attracted the interest of several very powerful people. Sims even met with President John Quincy Adams, who supported the expedition. Unfortunately, the trip never happened. Sims died in 1829 at the age of 48, before it ever got off the ground. Yet his theory lived on in fiction. Years later, Edgar Allan Poe wrote a novel inspired by Sims' proposed expedition. And in 1864, nearly 40 years after Sims died, the French novelist Jules Verne penned his famous book called A Journey to the Center of the Earth. In Verne's tale, the hero's uncle discovered ancient instructions to enter the hollow earth through the mouth of a volcano. They journey through dark, winding tunnels until they reach an enormous underground ocean. Unable to turn back, the adventurers set sail on a raft and explore a strange prehistoric world. They encounter giant mushrooms, dinosaurs, and even a humanoid ape. Finally, they find a geyser which blasts them to the surface. Burns' adventure story captivated audiences worldwide and brought the idea of hollow earth into the mainstream. Many popular authors followed suit and conjured subterranean realms of their own. For example, in 1895, the British writer H.G. Wells envisioned a future where humanity lives deep underground. After his time machine is stolen, the protagonist encounters a race of cave-dwelling humanoids called Morlocks. The Morlocks were pale, with bleached fur and enormous eyes adapted for a world without sunlight. The narrator is afraid of them, and so were readers. The Morlocks became the prototype for people living underground, and they seemed more like monsters than humans. 
These works of fiction were created to amuse, frighten, and entertain, but they left lasting impressions on those who read them. By the 20th century, there were plenty of stories about beastly subterranean humans, including the Mole People, featured in a 1956 movie of the same name. However, despite the public's enthusiasm for the subject, science has shown that the interior of our planet isn't hollow. Below the Earth's crust is a layer of molten lava and pressures strong enough to crush any living thing. And yet, there are people living beneath our feet. They've been around this whole time. We just didn't know where to look. Coming up, we learn the real history of the self-proclaimed mole people. The CIA. They're the first line of defense for the United States, analyzing intelligence to thwart any possible threats and keep us safe. Some of their involvements are made public, and others aren't. Hi, it's Carter from Parcast, and in honor of America's birthday, we're uncovering the cases you were never supposed to know about in the new series, Conspiracy Theories CIA Edition. From international assassination plots and mind control experiments to catastrophic cover-ups and secret societies fit for film, sift through the agency's most questioned and controversial affairs. Each week, Conspiracy Theories CIA Edition exposes the covert operations intended to protect us from conflicts, but end up creating conspiracies. Where does the truth lie? Where do the lies end? And how much do we really want to know? Follow the new Spotify original from Parcast, Conspiracy Theories CIA Edition. Listen every Thursday, free and only on Spotify. Now, back to the story. In the 20th century, the term mole people came to represent fictional creatures living miles underground. Like the Morlocks imagined by H.G. Wells, they were based on centuries of speculative science. While no one's discovered anything resembling those creatures, there have been human populations living underground for millennia. In the dark, cool recesses of ancient caves, early Homo sapiens built fires and homes and created the earliest known works of art. According to a 2018 study published in Nature Communications, a cave in Kenya was occupied by humans for 78,000 years. Each layer of dirt revealed thousands of discarded tools, ritual objects, and jewelry. The paper's lead author, archaeologist Dr. Carrie Shipton, said that people lived in the cave on and off until about 500 years ago, meaning even after humans were building houses, people still chose the security of cave living. But caves weren't the only subterranean homes in human history. In 1963, a man in central Turkey was renovating his basement. After taking a sledgehammer to a wall, a blast of cold air suddenly hit him in the face. Behind the wall was a hidden passageway. When experts from the Turkish government followed the tunnel, they discovered an entire underground city carved from the soft volcanic rock. Archaeologists are still piecing together the exact history of the city called Derinkuyu. However, 
Scholars believe construction began around 800 BCE by a group of people called the Phrygians. Their origins are shrouded in mystery. In the Iliad, the Greek poet Homer referred to them as allies of Troy. After the Trojans were defeated in the 12th century BCE, the Phrygians may have migrated to Turkey. At the time, this would have been enemy territory and a vulnerable place to build a settlement. But the Phrygian civilization was known for their expertise in architecture and metallurgy. They applied those skills to the creation of a subterranean metropolis that was safe from attack. Derinkuyu wasn't a small city either. It had 18 levels, the lowest of which was 250 feet below the surface. Some historians believe that up to 20,000 people may have lived there at one time. The Phrygians built homes, chapels, and storage rooms. They dug wells and ventilation shafts so they'd never run out of water or air. Archaeologists also found huge stone doors in front of several entrances. In the event of an attack, the citizens could barricade themselves inside. If that wasn't impressive enough, Derinkuyu wasn't the only example of subterranean living. So far, archaeologists have discovered about 40 more underground cities in Turkey that were likely built by the Phrygians. Over the years, ownership of these earthbound cities changed. Different civilizations took over. Starting in the 2nd and 3rd centuries CE, Derinkuyu became a haven for Christians fleeing persecution. And using underground buildings for religious sanctuary wasn't limited to Europe. 2,000 miles south of Turkey, in a mountainous part of central Ethiopia, there's a town with 11 churches carved from solid rock. Each building is a marvel to behold. Tourists approaching one from the road will see the ground drop away into a trench 40 feet deep. In the middle, a monolith made of red stone rises toward the heavens. Supposedly, these churches were constructed in the late 12th century CE by the Ethiopian king, Lalibela, who tried to create what he called New Jerusalem. According to the king's official biography, it took his workers 24 years to complete the task. They also built residences 40 feet below the surface. Orthodox priests called Bahetawi lived in these small rooms for years at a time. Some Ethiopians referred to them as, quote, the monks who never see the sun. The monks renounced human contact, emerging only for mass on Sundays and religious holidays. Their rooms were devoid of luxuries, so they could focus all of their attention on spiritual development. For most of history, safety and religion were the two main reasons people lived underground. But over the past few hundred years, some people saw the Earth as a huge treasure chest for them to exploit. Their journeys below ground were for a different motive. Profit. In 1915, in a remote desert part of Australia, a teenage boy was helping his father look for gold when he found an unusual stone. He rubbed it against his dusty shirt and held it up to the light. At first, the rock looked milky white, but when he moved it, a rainbow of colors danced across the surface. The boy showed the gem to his father, who identified it as opal, a very expensive mineral. 
Word soon spread of the discovery and prospectors flocked to the site and built a town called Cooper Pedy. For 20 years, prospectors searched in vain for buried riches. They dug, bulldozed, and blasted their way across the landscape. Most gave up and left. Then, in 1945, an aboriginal woman found a large opal, which sparked a second wave of settlers. Over the next few decades, Cooper Pedy became the largest opal mining operation in the world. Unfortunately, it was also an intolerable place to live. The town was an eight-hour drive from the nearest city with little food or water. But the worst part was the heat. In the summers, temperatures would routinely reach 120 degrees Fahrenheit. So the miners did what they did best. They dug into the earth. At first, they created makeshift homes in the cool mines. But before long, they excavated deep caverns for permanent homes. And as the subterranean town grew, they added more buildings, like a chapel, a bookstore, and a hotel. Today, the residents of Cooper Pedy continue to live almost entirely underground. Fortunately, electric appliances and air conditioning have made it even more comfortable. Cooper Pedy is an extreme example, but there are plenty of people who choose earth dwellings over luxury high-rise apartments. In the Chinese province of Shanxi, more than 30 million people live in caves called Yaodong. The caves vary in size, and some are as large as a house. Like the Kuberpiti homes, they stay cool in the summer and warm in the winter without any need for air conditioning. They're also extremely affordable. According to an article in the LA Times, a three-room cave with a bathroom sells for about $46,000. While there are many modern examples of underground towns, Neither the Kuberpedi miners nor the inhabitants of Shanxi called themselves mole people. But there are other humans who wear that label with pride. They live in a world without sunlight, renouncing life on the surface and even human society itself. All in the most populous place in America, New York City. Coming up, New York's Hidden Mole People. Now back to the story. For thousands of years, humans have sought refuge underground. They did it for shelter, for religion, and for cold, hard cash. They were a far cry from the grotesque creatures imagined by H.G. Wells, but they were real people. Still, underground living continues to be an oddity among humans. Most places don't have accessible caves suitable for habitation, and it's a lot easier to build a house than to dig one down into the dirt. But that changed in the 18th century when many cities became overcrowded. This led to a push for modernization, which opened up new underground spaces which could be converted into homes. Unfortunately, many of these spaces weren't exactly hospitable. For example, Sewers. Sewers were an ancient invention. Archaeologists found underground drainage pipes in Huanan, China, dating back more than 4,000 years. 
However, it wasn't until the mid-1800s that cities treated sewers as a public necessity. This came about with the discovery that wastewater carried diseases like cholera. Major cities around the world began building subterranean networks of pipes, channels, and storm drains designed to funnel waste away from homes. Sometimes these tunnels would dry out, and vagrants took up residence there. However, dry sewers weren't suitable for long-term living. Even a little rain could trigger a lethal flash flood. Sewer dwellers had to move quickly to escape, leaving their belongings to be washed away by the tide. The real boon for mole people came with the creation of subways. In 1863, London opened the world's first underground rail system. Other cities soon followed suit, bringing mass transit to the masses. At first, the subways were single tunnels with only a few stops. But they were quickly expanded into sprawling networks with hundreds of locations. The largest was underneath New York City. The New York subway system began as a response to a natural disaster. On March 11, 1888, a ferocious blizzard struck the East Coast and buried New York City under four feet of snow. In some places, the drifts were as high as 50 feet. The snow was so thick, it forced all traffic to a standstill. Trains were stuck for weeks while workers shoveled the tracks. The storm, which was dubbed the Great White Hurricane, convinced authorities to move their railroads below ground. The subway, called the Interborough Rapid Transit, or IRT, officially opened on October 27, 1904. It ran nine miles from City Hall to 145th Street on the Upper West Side of Manhattan, and it was a huge success. The very first day, 150,000 people paid to go for a ride. In time, the IRT was overwhelmed with traffic, and the newly formed Transportation Board needed a solution. On March 14, 1925, the board broke ground on the first of three independently operated subway lines linking Manhattan with Brooklyn and Queens. Unlike the IRT, these tunnels were built using steam-powered construction equipment. Access corridors and ventilation shafts were added so the workers could breathe underground. The stench of diesel and sewage was overpowering, but that didn't stop a few squatters from making the tunnels their home. In 1940, the privately owned subways were taken over by the city, which expanded the subterranean spiderweb. They added hundreds of miles of track and new stops connecting all five boroughs. The construction opened up thousands of spaces underground, and more mole people moved in. Beginning in the 1960s, homelessness was on the rise in New York City. For a while, experts considered there to be two primary reasons for this. First, long-term psychiatric institutions were being closed. Between 1965 and 1979, the number of people living in state psychiatric hospitals fell from 85,000 to 25,000. Though that may sound like a good thing, those 60,000 people had no place to go and ended up on the street or in the tunnels. And second, drugs like cocaine and heroin plagued the city. 
People addicted to these substances spent money quickly and had trouble staying employed. Without income or savings, they couldn't afford homes. However, historian Eric Hirsch later identified another trend that caused homelessness in New York to skyrocket in the 1980s. He noted that up until then, most unhoused individuals in the city were single men with drug or alcohol problems. But in the 1980s, whole families lost their homes and ended up living on the streets. According to Hirsch, this was thanks to urban economics. The rising price of apartments meant lower-income families couldn't afford them anymore. The sociologist Martha Burt agreed and took it a step further. In 1991, she published a paper on the rise of homelessness in the 1980s. She found that the root cause was inequality. Poor families couldn't keep up with rent once wealthy and middle-class people moved in. The process is called gentrification. A 2020 study by Eric Goldfisher confirmed Burt's theory. He demonstrated that within New York City, neighborhoods undergoing gentrification had the highest rates of homelessness. A series of city administrations addressed the problem through force. The vagrants were an eyesore and a threat to tourism. So they ordered the police to remove people sleeping outdoors by any means necessary. This created open hostility between the police and unhoused individuals. Many described being chased and beaten by members of the NYPD. It was hard to find a quiet place to sleep. So naturally, many moved underground. One police officer said this happened mostly in the 1970s when New York City almost went bankrupt. To save money, the city cut back on services like maintenance and subway inspections. The streets were dangerous for unhoused people, and the vast network of tunnels and caverns were left unguarded. It's hard to say exactly how many people left the surface, but a 1986 study by the mayor's office estimated there were around 5,000 people living in the subway. Another survey from 1991 said there were more than 6,000 under Grand Central Station alone. For perspective, that's more than some American towns. These were the mole people of New York City. Cops viewed them with fear and suspicion. In 1992, officers at a precinct in Lower Manhattan were quick to tell a reporter horror stories of their encounters. One officer was beaten to death with his own nightstick. Two others were killed making an arrest. Subway employees had similar feelings of animosity and dread. They called the mole people chuds, meaning cannibalistic human underground dwellers. One engineer said that a chud hit his co-worker on the head with a pipe to steal their tools. Daniel Crump from the Transit Workers and Mechanics Union said he often received calls about members getting piped, as he called it. He said laborers refused to go into the tunnels because the mole people were everywhere. But the mole people remained a mystery for those who weren't police or track workers. A massive, faceless community hidden from the public eye. Some commuters caught a glimpse of their ashen faces as the subway car zipped by, but most had no idea they existed. Until 1990, 
when journalist John Tierney wrote an article for the New York Times. He gave New Yorkers their first real look at the mole people. And the face he showed them was deeply human. Tierney interviewed several unhoused people living in the Riverside Park Tunnel, an abandoned railroad line in the Upper West Side of Manhattan. One of the residents named Joe claimed to have been the first person to move in back in 1974. Joe had made a home for himself, complete with a sofa, coffee table, and a dozen pet kittens. Hardly the cannibalistic bottom dweller that so many imagined. Tierney showed a tender side of the mole people. But two years later, in 1992, a young journalist named Jennifer Toth made headlines when she finally gave the mole people a voice of their own. Her book pulled back the curtain on underground living, and it nearly got her killed. Thanks again for tuning in to Unexplained Mysteries. We will be back Thursday with part two of Mole People. Next time, we follow Jennifer Toth as she reveals the secret lives of New York City's mole people. We'll explore the controversy over her book and find out where the mole people are now. You can find all episodes of Unexplained Mysteries and all other Spotify originals from ParCast for free on Spotify. See you next time. And remember, never take we don't know for an answer. Unexplained Mysteries is a Spotify original from Parcast. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler. Sound design by Dick Schroeder, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, and Freddie Beckley. This episode of Unexplained Mysteries was written by Xander Bernstein, with writing assistance by Andrew Messer and Connor Sampson. Fact-checking by Cara Mackerlein and research by Bradley Klein. Unexplained Mysteries stars Molly Brandenburg and Richard Rossner. Hi, it's Carter from ParCast. Every Thursday on Conspiracy Theories CIA Edition, we're uncovering secrets hidden deep within the archives of the Central Intelligence Agency to bring you a special collection of episodes from shows across our network. Follow the new Spotify original from ParCast, Conspiracy Theories CIA Edition. Listen free only on Spotify. Spotify.